This story is based on true events that took place in Tallahassee, Florida in 1998. The world around me tries to surround me, tries to choke me and rip out my heart. I feel naught but despair. Life is not fair, and I must not go on. I must take leave of the evil din. Won't be coming back now, and won't be coming back then. Stranger's apathy has torn out my soul, ripped out my heart, scared my good thoughts away, sunk me deep in a cavernous hole. I feel alone. I feel unloved. I should kill myself. I'm all I've ever known. No one will miss me if I say goodbye. No one will care at all if I just die. A poem written by Chris Hodges, age 17. Deceased. If you are reading this, then you will find my dead corpse somewhere nearby, a bullet in my head. In my never-ending quest for originality, I have decided that instead of writing a suicide note, I am going to write a suicide novel. I feel it's the only way to adequately explain all my reasons for my decision, and there are many. Close by, you will find my cassette tape player playing Nirvana's Nevermind. Please don't place any significance on this fact. I am not imitating my idol, the so-called voice of the generation, as some idiots will no doubt try to get you to believe. I have my own reasons for killing myself. Nirvana just made some damn good music. If my parents are the ones reading this, then no one else will probably ever get to see it. To my parents, fuck you. This is all your fault, and I hope you feel guilty for the rest of your pathetic lives. Rot in hell for me, won't you? If anyone else reads this first, don't give my parents the satisfaction of destroying it. Let them get the just rewards they deserve. A few more years in prison shouldn't hurt old dad much, and mom needs a few lessons in dealing with life herself. My dad's personal stash is hidden in... The bedroom closet behind the removable panel in the back left corner of the closet. My mom's stash, on the other hand, is probably in her purse, as she can never go anywhere without it. To those people out there who have to make a buck off of everything, please don't make me into a movie of the week. But if you do, I want to be played by somebody really cool, like Christian Slater or Ethan Hawke, or at least anyone other than that geek from E.T., Henry whatever his name is. He really sucked in Psycho 4. And make sure the part of Tracy Reed is played by Winona Ryder. Give her that blonde wig from Edward Scissorhands. She was really beautiful like that. For the record, my name is Chris Hodges. I'm a 17-year-old senior at Leon High School. At 5 foot 8 and 140 pounds, I'm not much of an athlete. That may not seem like such a big deal to you, but living in a town that lives and breathes football and going to a school that has five state championships in the last ten years, not being an athlete can be a very bad thing. I don't even like sports, so I'm not very good at any of them. Actually, I'm not very good at anything. I can't even make friends very well. I know. I know you're saying... Why would you want to kill yourself? You're about to graduate from high school and then go on to a college and a career. You've got your whole life in front of you. Why would you want to throw it away? You want to know why? Because all of that is a load of bullshit. 
I don't have a future. I don't have anything. I'm just so tired of it all. My parents don't have the money for me to go to college, and there's no way I'm going to get a scholarship. I can't find a good job around here because all the good jobs around here go to ex-football players, and I can't even play football on Nintendo. No job, no school, no friends, no girlfriend, no nothing. Plus, everybody always calls me a quitter anyway. They always say I can't ever finish anything I start. I quit Boy Scouts. I quit playing t-ball when I was younger. I quit the school band. I quit the school newspaper. Everything I start, I end up quitting. Maybe it's not me, though. Maybe all that stuff just sucks. So... I'm going to kill myself. That way, my parents won't have to support me for the rest of my life. I would hate to actually be the burden that they claim I am, but I don't have any skills or talent, and I'm not very smart, so I can't support myself. But I don't want to sponge off of them forever. They probably wouldn't let me anyway. So I just end up jobless and homeless. Great fucking future. I could probably go on, if only there was someone who cared about me. If only I wasn't alone every night. If only I didn't have to cry myself to sleep. If only someone could actually love me. Next you'll tell me that there's someone for everyone. That every dog has his day. Yeah, right. I found my someone and she doesn't even know that I exist. I am deeply in love with a girl named Tracy Reed. Only Tracy would fall in love with me. Ha! Yeah, what a joke that is. Compared to her boyfriend, I'm a stupid puny moron. She's dating the quarterback of the football team, Brad Dexter. He's the most popular guy at school. I'm just a pathetic loser. He's won three state championships. I've never won anything in my entire life. Not even the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Why go out with Danny DeVito when you can go out with Arnold Schwarzenegger? But I'm in love with her anyway. I called her a little while ago, you know. Thank God it was an answering machine. I don't think I could have actually talked to her. I left a message, but... I sounded like a stuttering fool. I asked her out. What was I thinking? She'd never go out with me. Not when... She could have any guy she wanted. But I won't give up completely. If she calls me back before I'm done writing this, and she says she'll go out with me, then I won't kill myself. That should take a couple of hours. So keep hope alive. God, she's so pretty. I'm looking at her yearbook picture as I type this. She's the most beautiful girl in school, you know. She's really nice, too. I sit right behind her in English class. She always smiles and says, Hi. She even uses my name sometimes. Oh, what sweet music it is to hear her say my name. Every once in a while, she actually talks to me. Oh, it's always about English or asking me if I want to help out with a senior class project or something like that. But it's nice anyway. Most of the time, though, I just sit in English class and stare at her long, silky blonde hair. I sit and wonder what it would be like to run my fingers through that hair. What it would be like to kiss her sensuous lips. What it would be like to touch her perfect skin. What it would be like to even talk to her. 
She talks to me, but I usually don't say anything. Or I manage to croak out the word, hello. She must think I'm a moron. My dream is to drive her to the beach one night in my uncle's 66 Chevy Malibu Super Sport convertible. Once we got there, we'd walk along the shore in the moonlight hand in hand. We'd talk for a while, getting to know each other, getting to know everything about each other. I'd lead her to a blanket I'd laid out on the beach where we'd talk some more, drink some chilled champagne, and really start to fall in love with each other. The moon would be jealous as we kissed, the waves lapping at our bare feet, and who knows where the night would go. But, as such dreams are foolish, I'd let them be. So, where did I come up with the idea of suicide? Well, that's kind of a long story, but what the heck, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. You see, I haven't always been completely alone. I had a friend once. Last year in the 11th grade, I had a friend named Tim. We had known each other since elementary school and had become best friends. One day, we were in the third grade. Tim stopped two boys from beating me up in the playground. The two boys had been picking on me and saying nasty things about my parents, and I started saying things back. That gave them an excuse to start fighting with me, and you know how playgrounds are. Never a teacher around when you need one. Richie... The bigger of the two boys pushed me onto the ground when they both started to kick me. I was in a lot of pain, and I'd admit it, I started to cry. Tim saw what was happening and came over and punched Joey, the smaller boy, in the stomach, knocking him to the ground. Tim was bigger than either of them, and when Richie saw his friend laying on the ground, he ran away. Tim helped me up and introduced himself. Just before I could reply, Richie had come back with Miss Foster and had told her that Tim and I had started the fight. Since Tim and I were the weird kids, Miss Foster believed Richie and Tim and I were sent to the principal's office. We were suspended from school for fighting, but we didn't care. We were at the beginning of a beautiful friendship. For years after that, the other kids always used to make fun of me and Tim. We were never invited to parties or anything like that, and we never got to date any of the girls. We were always in fights and were always getting in trouble at school. We even had people who said we were gay because we spend so much time together. We got in a few fights because of that. People always used to ask me if I was gay, and my brilliant response was, No, is your mother? Most kids didn't like my answer. Me and Tim became great friends anyway. We were inseparable. We used to read comic books together, ride bikes together, and explore every inch of the woods around both of our houses. The only time that I had been truly happy in my whole life was spent with Tim, But most of the time, I wasn't a very happy person. But Tim wasn't a very happy person either. Both of Tim's parents were heavy alcoholics. His dad used to beat him all the time. Tim would come to school with a black eye or bruises on his arms and chest all the time. His dad never really had a reason to beat Tim up, but he did it all the time anyway. Tim's dad never beat his wife. He only hit Tim. One time I was at Tim's house when his dad came home drunk. He had lost a bet on a football game, and he had a lot to drink afterwards. He took out his anger on Tim right there in front of me. I stood in horror as I watched the beating. Tim's dad completely ignored me as he beat Tim. I was scared to death, and I wanted to tell my own dad, but Tim made me swear not to tell a soul. He was afraid that if anyone found out, then they would take him and put him into a foster home. I never told anyone.
Tim told me once that his dad had never beat him until Tim's older brother died. Bob was drunk and had a car accident which killed him and three of his other classmates. Apparently he learned to drink from watching his parents drink as much as they did. After the accident, Tim's mother stopped drinking, but Tim's dad didn't stop drinking at all. In fact, he began to drink even more. It wasn't long before the beatings began, and they continued to get worse and worse as time went by. Tim was scared that something bad was going to happen, but he didn't know what to do. He loved his dad, but was afraid of what his dad might do to him. Tim was an honor roll student at one point, but his grades had been slipping ever since the beatings began. He was in danger of failing several classes, which made his dad even more angry. When I saw him at school, he became quiet and moody. He never wanted to do anything anymore, except go home and lock himself in his room, praying that his dad wouldn't be drunk that night when he got home. Two weeks before Halloween that year, I talked with him for the last time. We sat up in his treehouse. He told me that he couldn't take it anymore, that something drastic had to be done. He wouldn't tell me what, but he said that he had made up his mind. We talked for hours that night about school, life, his parents, my parents, whatever came to mind. Most of all, he talked about his brother. Tim had really looked up to Bob. He said that he missed Bob a lot. He kept going on about how unfair life was, and eventually he just broke down and cried. The next day, when Tim didn't show up for school, I had a horrible feeling in my stomach. I called his house that night, but there was no answer. The same thing happened for the next couple of days, until finally on Thursday I was called to the principal's office. I was scared at first. I thought that maybe I'd done something wrong and had gotten into trouble. My mind started scrambling, trying to think of what it was that I had done and what my parents were going to say. When I walked into Mr. Walker's office and saw Tim's dad, I had an awful feeling about what had happened. It turned out that they wanted to ask me questions about what Tim and I had talked about that Sunday night when I had last seen him. I told them about what Tim had said about Bob and some of the other stuff. Then I said that Tim had told me that he was going to do something drastic, but that he didn't say what he was going to do. I could see the tears begin to well up in Tim's dad's eyes and could tell he was getting upset. Then he jumped and grabbed me by my shirt and started screaming at me. He told you! He told you and you didn't say anything, you little bastard! I'm gonna kill you! Mr. Walker leapt to his feet and grabbed hold of Tim's dad to restrain him. Mr. Walker yelled at me to go wait outside his office while he tried to calm Tim's dad down. I sat in the lobby outside, but I could still hear Tim's dad screaming from inside. A couple of minutes later, he stormed out of Mr. Walker's office and brushed right past me without even looking in my direction. Mr. Walker called me back into his office and sat me down. He had a horrible look on his face. Chris, I hate to have to be the one to tell you this, but Tim died on Monday morning. I winced at Mr. Walker's words and immediately burst into tears. I later found out what had happened. Apparently, that morning after Tim and I had talked, he snuck into the garage at his house while his parents slept. He locked the garage door and took a garden hose off the wall. He inserted one end of the hose in the exhaust pipe and the other end through the rear window of the car. He locked himself in the car and started the engine. By the time his parents woke up, which was always afternoon... Tim had already died of carbon monoxide poisoning. I was devastated. Tim was the only friend I had ever known, and now he was gone. He never said goodbye. 
I was sad for him, I was mad at him, but mostly, I just missed him. He and I had become friends because no one else at school would have us, and now I was alone. I hated him for doing it. How could he be so selfish? And I loved him more than I had ever loved another person. And I can't help but feel guilty. Maybe I should have done something. Maybe he would have listened to me. What would have happened if I would have told someone? Would it have made a difference? Would Tim still be alive? Would I still be alone? And I also felt guilty about the feelings that I have about his death. Tim's dead, and all I can think about is the fact that I'm alone. I hardly think about him at all. When I think of him dying alone, and that I'm sitting here being selfish, I get sick to my stomach. I can't even look at myself in a mirror, ashamed to even see my own face. (sighs) So... That was how I came up with the idea of suicide. My best and only friend had killed himself, and now I intend to do the same. But I don't want to do it in a slow, wimpy manner like Tim did. I want to go out with a bang. Literally. That'll show all those jocks that I wasn't the weak nerd that they thought I would be. I've got my dad's forty-five sitting next to the typewriter, and I intend on using it very soon. Unless Tracy calls, that is. I guess that is pretty stupid to balance my life, or death, on whether or not the girl calls me. I guess, I guess I'm disturbed, or crazy, or whatever. But that's okay. I'll get over it. Looking at my dad's forty-five makes me hate him even more. He cares more about that damn gun than he does about me. I wasn't planned on, and my parents never wanted to have me. Even after I was born, they still didn't want me. They kept me away, and now here I am, unloved and unwanted. I hate them both, and they both hate me, and we seem to like it that way. I never stay at the house except to sleep. I call it the house and not my home because I don't have a home. I think Dave Piernier of Soul Asylum said it best when he said, I'm homesick for the home I've never had. My other relatives don't ever have anything to do with my parents because they look at mom and dad as an embarrassment to the family. They say that they feel sorry for me, but they won't have anything to do with me either. They think I'm just like my parents. My parents dropped out of high school when my mom got pregnant with me. My dad was a senior and my mom was a sophomore. They weren't even dating. They just had sex one time. And then I came along. Love child. Never meant to be. My mom had been dating the star baseball player, Gordon Chambers, with all the hippie free love crap. She slept with a lot of other people. When she got pregnant, Gordon dropped her like she had some kind of disease. Gordon went on to play professional baseball and make millions of dollars a year. The first of my mom's major mistakes in life. Mom and dad had run away because their parents wanted to kill them. They ran away and stayed with an uncle who also lived here in Tallahassee. Dad worked construction to support them while mom was pregnant, but he couldn't really earn enough money, so he had to look elsewhere. Soon he was dealing cocaine on the side and making enough money to support them without working construction. Soon after the wedding, my uncle found out that dad was dealing coke and kicked them out of the house. 
When the rest of the family found out about the drugs, my parents were disowned by the family. None of the family has ever talked to them since. I have received a few letters from relatives since I've been in high school, but none of them wanted to meet me in person. When I was a sophomore, my dad was busted by the DEA for selling crack to an agent. He spent 18 months in prison, and my mom had to work as a nurse to support us. She went to night school to take classes and work during the day. She had gotten her GED a few years before I started high school and started nursing school right after my dad got arrested. She managed to scrape out a living until she got caught stealing medication from the hospital she worked at. If they had known she was going to sell it, they would have probably put her in with dear old dad. For the next few months, we lived on welfare until my dad got out of prison. We had to live in a housing project where we were the only white people who lived there. I'll just say, I got into more than my share of fights during those months. When my dad got out of prison, we moved into a mobile home that had been badly damaged in a storm. The room on one end of the trailer had been crushed by a falling tree and had never been repaired. The cold air seeped into the house on many cold winter nights. We used to keep warm by keeping a kerosene space heater in the bedroom on the opposite ends of the trailer and sealing the room off. The fumes always seemed to make me woozy, but my parents didn't seem to be bothered. The 800 packs of cigarettes they smoked daily didn't seem to bother them either. I used to have a lot of trouble breathing. Sometimes I still do. The worst thing that happened to me that winter was that my sweater caught on fire one night because I was sitting too close to the space heater trying to get warm. It burned through my skin, leaving me with third-degree burns on my arm and shoulder before my mom was able to extinguish it. After it was out, my dad started yelling at me and calling me stupid. Then he took off his belt and gave me a spanking for ruining my sweater. Then he let my mom take me to the hospital. That was when I really started to hate my dad. He had gone back to work in construction after he got out of prison, but was still selling drugs. He wasn't into coke anymore. He had moved on to pot. I think he was smoking more of it than he was selling, though. He managed to fool his parole officer by having me piss into a jar for him. Whenever he had to take a drug test, he would take me aside and ask me if I had drunk any alcohol or taken any drugs recently. Of course, I always said no, and he would have me fill up his urine sample jar for him. He never got caught. Since then, my parents have always seemed to be dazed when I see them. I figure that they're always on drugs and don't really care about anything else. It's amazing what secrets people reveal when they don't know what they're saying. One time when my dad was drugged out, he told me about how he bought this gun I'm holding. He got it from a drug dealer he had become friends with while in prison. Another time when he was high, I found out that my birth was an accident and that my parents never wanted me and never wanted to get married. Sorry! I didn't mean to fuck up your lives! Yet another reason for me to get out of here. I'm starting to get bored with this whole typing thing. I thought it would be fun to type my life story. But it really isn't. It hurts. And, and it doesn't seem like Tracy is going to call me. And I'm tired of waiting. In fact, I'm tired in general. 
So tired, I don't want to go on anymore. I guess that some people will say not finishing my life story will be just another example of me not finishing anything I ever started. But fuck them! I felt this weariness for quite some time, and I don't want to feel like this anymore. I don't really have anything else to say anyway, so I think I'm going to wrap up this little story and go kill myself. See you in the next life. Farewell, Chris. Obituary taken from the Tallahassee Democrat, March 17th, 1998. Title, Popular Teen Found Dead by Glenn Thompson. Dateline, Tallahassee, Florida. Christopher Brian Hodges of Tallahassee was found dead Sunday, apparently due to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He would have graduated from Leon High School this spring. He was a four-year varsity football player and starting quarterback on three state championship teams. He was 17. Hodges was the son of Robert K. and Mary Hodges, both of Tallahassee. Mr. Hodges is a senior vice president for Adaptability Consultants Incorporated, while Mrs. Hodges is a homemaker. The Hodges also have another son, Robert Jr., who is 22. I am Jim Stormy Weathers, and you have been listening to the first chapter of All-American, a true crime podcast. Charles Lasky as Chris Hodges. This is Kaede Kendall playing Tim's dad. Uh, Steffi Offit as generic voice. Samara Mizrahi as co-director. Shelley Clausen as assistant editor. And Kenneth Quinnell, writer, director, and the character of Jim Stormy Weathers. <laughs>